This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Oak Shade Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. What's up, y'all? Let's do this, man. Let's go over Montana, October, archery, public land, solo uh first thank you vortex for making this podcast possible and free for everyone to enjoy or to at least pass the time and hopefully gain some knowledge vortex is coming out with a couple of things that um, are super slick and handy i have a couple prototypes in hand but i signed a piece of paper that says i can't talk about those but i can talk about the uhd 10 by 42 low light conditions Total game changer. The reason why I bring that up is on this hunt, it was not a vocalization hunt. It was a glassing game. I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, the UHD 10x42s, I answer direct messages all the time on social platforms. Yes, they are really worth the money. And yes, they're still more affordable than other big brands. And like always, backed with the VIP warranty. If you're like Elk Shape and you're super hard on your toys, you need that VIP warranty in your life. No questions asked. Send it back. They'll fix it, even if it was on you. So thank you, Vortex. If you guys are interested in rocking some of their outerwear that can cross over from training and hunting and everyday wear, check out their new line of Vortex gear and use the discount code ELKSHAPE to save 20% on your apparel purchases. Thank you, Vortex Optics. And before we get into the rest of the podcast, let's run down the list of our awesome partners and how they make these things possible. Kinetrek Boots. Base Map, Kafaru, Matthews Archery, Grim Reaper, Phelps Game Calls, Baku E-Bikes, Wilderness Athlete, Climate, Easton, Tight Spot, Black Gold, Spot Hog, Black Ovis, Lancaster Archery, Northwest Retention Systems, and Stowaway Gourmet. Appreciate you guys on all that you do for us. Let's get into it. So, all right, where do we begin? Uh, I got back from Wyoming on September 29th. My family was super stoked. I was too. It was good to be home. Um, I already had the elk processed uh, from Idaho, and so I picked that up, which was super handy on the way home from Wyoming. So that meat was done, and the Wyoming bull, I put it in my fridge um, in the garage. We had a backup fridge, and I had that in there for probably four or five days, just kind of hanging uh, I like elk meat to hang for at least a week, uh, but that was good enough. So I was able to butcher the meat kind of one-handed because if you didn't know or didn't hear, on September 27th when I killed that bull in Wyoming, I basically put a 60XT surgical blade that was attached to my goat knife 
all the way, I buried it all the way into my hand. And I put it in a weird spot too, like between the index finger and the thumb, there's like some webbing. Uh, and that's a spot that moves a lot. And I buried it and um, ended up getting stitches the next day at urgent care. Eight stitches in total, $800 bill. Uh, I think I'm just going to pay for it out of pocket. I don't want to do an insurance claim. So thanks for the $800 bill. Um, and then uh, wasn't able to really do use my hand much. And I certainly couldn't shoot a bow because that's right where you put your grip of your bow on the riser. You put it right there. And so I just had to sit, sit around and wait for it to heal, which was good. I was able to catch up on things. And uh, after being gone for pretty much a month, uh, we were back back ordered on everything. I mean, I had to do fulfillment. So the online store where we sell swag and veins and workout programs and stuff. Uh, emails, just general emails. I think I had like 500 emails, uh, messages on social medias, uh, YouTube comments that I prefer to ignore, things like that. So I was pretty busy. Plus, I wanted to just spend time with my family. And I started working out again. I couldn't touch a barbell, couldn't grip a pull-up bar. So I did a lot of sled, squats, lunges, box step-ups, and sprinting. And every day was leg day, uh, which is fine. About October, geez, 7th. Uh, yeah, October 7th was the day I was like, I'm going to shoot my bow. If I can shoot it, I'm going to Montana. I got this tag in my pocket. It goes till October 18th. A lot of people are going to be out of the woods. They've already burned their vacation or whatever. And plus, I didn't personally experience a ton of great rutting action in all the states I was in. So I figured they had to be rutting by now, if not second cycle, which is a thing, guys. It really is a thing. So I got to get to Montana. So I shot my bow and I put that on Instagram. I uh, shot one arrow and I was like, okay, that hurt like hell but I can do it. And then, um, decided I was going to Montana. So I got the blessing from my wife and I basically put it on the calendar. I was going to be gone for seven days and that's what I did. So the first thing I had to do was uh, decide where to go. And I have lots of options in Montana cause I've hunted it before. And you just kind of have to figure out, do I want to go close to home? Northwest Montana. I got some good spots there. Uh, hunt the brush bowls, not a glassing game. It's they'd have to be vocalizing for it to be worth my while. And I really was leaning towards doing that. And then I checked the weather and it was supposed to rain the next four days, pretty much anywhere, North Idaho or Northwest Montana. And I was like, mm, I don't want to hunt in wet brush because wet brush stays wet for at least a couple days after it rains. And then it's just like a battle to dry out your gear. You got to bring gaiters and boots and rain gear. And it's just not fun. And I did that all last year. I did not want to do that. So I vetoed that. So then I looked into, okay, I really like a lot of units that are kind of central Montana. However, a lot of those units have great national force, but they also are laced with private property and checkerboard. And I didn't really feel like putting up with having base map open the entire time and trying to you know, figure out if I'm on private or public. And a lot of the elk would already be on private because they've been pushed or hunted. Like the crazies, for example, you go to the crazies in early September, it's a lot different than early October. Uh, those elk have been messed with and they've found where they're not going to be messed with. And unfortunately for guys like us, that's private property. And you can just pray and hope that they cross some sort of public piece that you can actually get access to that, which is not checkerboard. It's just, it's a good hunt, but it wasn't what I was in the mood. So I crossed that off and then I was like, okay, I want to hunt a huge swath of public land. I want it to be an area that doesn't allow motorized vehicle access. It's very limited. So I want to hunt kind of horse country. I don't care if there's grizzlies. Uh, let's, and so that really kind of narrowed my focus down. So that's what I settled in on. And so I did some uh, quick e-scouting and then saved some KLM files, brought it into base map and uh, pretty much had kind of a A, B, C, D. I had four options all within kind of close driving and I knew where I was going and I hit the road. Uh, it was about a seven and a half hour drive from my house in Spokane. Um, plus, I would say another 45 minutes 
of some nasty dirt roads. And by the time I got to where I was going, my first choice, it was dark. So I couldn't really tell the topography or the lay of the land. I couldn't tell if it was like wide open sage flats and steep mountains with no trees or if it was tons of timber. I just knew that I was hunting pretty high. I was going to be in between eight and 10,000 feet. And so I didn't want to set up a camp. I kind of rolled in late and I didn't know if I wanted to stay there, but I knew I wanted to hunt that spot in the morning. So I just threw my climate little air pad out and my little Western mountaineering 10 degree bag and a little climate pillow and laid in the back of my truck and fell asleep to amazing blue sky or I guess no clouds in the sky, no light pollution from cities, just the like the Milky Way was on fire. Got a couple good nighttime photos of that and slept and then woke up to my alarm at five in the morning. I was like, well, I'm not getting up uh, just yet because number one, the trail head, I don't even know where it goes. It could be right into elk and I could be bumping them in the dark. And I want to see what the, I want to see what this place looks like. So got up kind of late and then, um, just as it was getting light, I was finishing up oatmeal and coffee. By the way, I was trying Black Rifle Coffee, that instant coffee, hashtag not sponsored. Um, and it was uh, out of this world amazing. I did a double and uh, just I'm a coffee connoisseur as far as I just like hot coffee in the morning. And uh, I don't add cream. I just like black coffee. And that was delicious. I pulled my e-bike out of the back of the truck. I didn't know exactly where the trailhead was. I didn't know if... Uh, if e-bikes were legal, um, I wanted to read the signs. And by all you e-bike owners out there, especially if you're rocking back who like I am, be respectful of other people that don't have e-bikes and be respectful of the law. So don't ruin it for us. Now, it would be like I'm completely for e-bikes. Like I think backcountry hunters and anglers were like campaigning for some law to pass the ban e-bikes, whatever. I don't know the details. Don't quote me, but I am on the other side of the fence. Like I think everyone should trade their four wheelers in for e-bikes, man. They're no, they don't make any noise. You actually have to pedal them. Uh, they don't put out pollution and they're really quiet. They're not intrusive and, um, they're, they're amazing, but they, not everyone can afford one. So it's not fair. I get it. Anyways, I got the e-bike out, hopped on it with my gear and I started riding. I rode I think 150 yards. This is why pulling up to a new spot in the dark is funny. Uh, 150 yards, I hit a gate that says no motorized vehicles. And it's even got a like no mo- no uh, no bicycles, no mountain bikes. And uh, just foot traffic or horse traffic. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I rode back to camp, covered my e-bike up, locked it up, and uh, decided I was not going to go up this trailhead because it looked to be pretty rocky, cliffy, not elk country. So I skirted this whole mountain and climbed and climbed and climbed. And I got up to almost 10,000 feet in about three hours, saw two really nice mule deer bucks. And of course they saw me. So that was, uh, I got video of them and that was it. And, uh, just was like, wow, you're just not used to seeing that kind of bucks in uh, Montana. And I made it to my glassing point that I kind of had picked out e-scouting got up there and it was starting to get kind of windy and it was really smoky. I mean, I couldn't see very far. So I just started glassing what I could see. And I was like, well, there's two canyons here. There's got to be an elk in one of them. So I let out a really high pitch, long, extra long locator bugle. And I listened, nothing. And then I grabbed my external cow call from Phelps and I just blew on that thing three or four times, pretty loud, pretty obnoxious, and waited in about mm, 30 seconds, I caught the tail end of a bugle in one particular canyon, the one that I didn't hike up. And I was like, huh. So I looked on base map and I saw that just like the first two miles of this canyon were all rock slides, talus. I was like, he's not there. And then I saw that there was maybe six or seven just little timber patches I was like, he's got to be in one of these timber patches. So I moved uh, slightly to be in a position to glass if that elk ever stood up because it was pretty open and I could see through some of the timber. And for whatever reason, uh, I just hung out there forever. I mean, I knew there was a bull. And so 
I was sitting there glassing and, and just chilling and about an hour went by and I caught one more faint bugle in this canyon to where I was able to kind of pinpoint it down to three timber patches. And I'm looking like across a really vast canyon that bowls out into a huge basin. And um, so that was good that I could kind of like concentrate. Okay, that bowls in one of these three timber patches. So that's where I hung out. And I hung out. I ate. Um, I fell asleep. Uh, not on purpose. Woke up from my nap. I was like, I'm staying here, man. I'm going to tell this bull gives his location up. Uh, I tried one more locator and he heard nothing. But there's something that happens after that. Um, after I did that locator bugle, I bet within 15 minutes, it was 2.30 in the afternoon, day one, I noticed two cows and a calf were up on their feet feeding in a little opening. And that's all it took for me to know that there was definitely a bull right there and there, like somewhere right around them. So I watched them feed for about 30 minutes and then they slipped into thicker timber that I couldn't see through. And I knew they didn't come out. So I knew they were bedded there. And then started listening to a book on tape because I was bored and not used to being this patient. This is not my style. I'm pretty aggressive by nature. Uh, uh, people are going to want to know what book I was listening to. It's one my wife recommended. It's by John Grissom. It's called The Reckoning and it's, uh, it's a great book. That's all I'm going to say. It's, uh, I think it's nonfiction slash a little bit of fiction slash really entertaining. After, I don't know, sitting on the same vantage all darn day, uh, the bull stood up. And when he did, I just happened to pick him up and I glassed him up. And to me, I was far enough to where I thought he was like pretty big six point. And that's all it took for me. I was like, all right, I'm going to drop elevation. I'm going to get to where I'm exactly across from him. And I'm going to see what the wind's doing. So I worked my way down an elk trail through some cliffy, rocky stuff and made it to where I was right across from him. And by this time it was getting, you know, that 5, 5.30 time frame, shadows are getting longer type situation. And what I ended up doing was uh, just kind of staging there for another probably hour just waiting for him to see what he does. And uh, lo and behold... As the shadows were starting to go up this west-facing mountain. Now, again, if the mountain's facing the west, it's going to get the most sunlight throughout the day. So this 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 canyon was not going to get shade until probably the last 40 minutes of daylight. And just about that time when those shadows were starting to creep up and the shade's going up the mountain, uh, he popped out. And he was staring at my direction, and I thought maybe he picked me off, but he didn't. And then all of a sudden I see him bolt and he's chasing one of those cows. So they're rutting, but he wasn't bugling and no other elk were talking. And he chased her into this timber patch that I could not see. I could not penetrate with my glasses. So I was like, all right, the prevailing's going, coming out of the south, plus the thermals are going to want to go down. You need to go down creek, get past him, cross the creek, and then basically blindly still hunt your way up to where you think he is. And I was like, done. So I made sure, and this was open enough country where I had to be really careful as I was going along the creek because they could see. It's so steep that those elk could see me. So I was just really going slow, staying as low as possible. I went past where the, the elk were. I crossed the creek and I started blindly still hunting my way up this steep slope that had pretty sparse timber but little thickets of timber and really grass everywhere to speak of not a lot of elk sign but a few rubs from this year and I just started kind of working my way up and I turned my camera on uh, I put my glove on my hand to cover that wound up so I could shoot I took my other glove that was on my right hand off and I was using my verdicts from 2019 because my VXR 28 is still out of service. And if you didn't hear that story, basically I ran over my bow. The day before opening elk, um, August 29th, I ran over my bow with a four-wheeler. You can listen to the last podcast, catch up on that. So I'm, I'm using a backup bow, Vertex, and people are going to be like, well, why aren't you using your 31 and a half? Because that is set up for mule deer. That's got a spot hog two pin on it, Fast Eddie, and I don't like that. I like to have at least four pins for elk. Uh, and I set that up at 20, 30, 40, 50 plus a slider. Anyway, so I got the verdicts in hand. I got my glove on. I got my Solvid Panasonic camera on my head and I'm recording 
because I think I'm going to get into this bull. And he's not bugling. Cows aren't talking. And I'm just having to go slow and hope that I don't get picked off by one of those two cows or that calf. And I'm working my whip and it starts to bench out just a little. And I hear a squirrel going chirping. And it wasn't chirping at me. It was far enough to where I was like, I think that squirrel's chirping at the bull. And sure enough, I look over there and the bull gets up out of his bed. And he's standing there and there's a ton of limbs on these trees blocking his vision of me. But I certainly can see him. And I had enough time to take my rangefinder, click on his butt, range him at 50 even, put it down, pull my UHD 10x42s up, confirm that it's the bull I've been watching all day, uh, a big 5x5, and put that down, knock up, hook on, and then I knew I wasn't going to be able to like, he was kind of like looking my way, so I I wasn't going to be able to like take a step right or left. So I drew back and I felt like the limbs were kind of blocking my arrow's flight, so I did kind of a half squat and got a nice look at him, good lane, and on video, I'm pretty sure I was at full draw for almost 10 seconds just because you, my pen was where I wanted it, but I did not like the bubble. It was so steep that that bubble just could not get level. Finally, that bubble levels out and the arrow's gone. Got a good surprise release, good break, good clean break, great sound. Knew I hit him, was using a lighted knock, shooting an Easton uh, Axis 5mm. And it's people will ask, so it's about... 26 and a half inches long. I put 75 grain brass insert. Uh, I have a hundred grain three blade micro Hades, one of the sharpest broadheads on the market. And the whole setup is 454 grains total. And I have those max stealth elk shape uh, veins that are max helical to the left. And by the way, no, my broadheads don't come unscrewed with that helical. And so it made a great sound. And I immediately, uh, cow called and then did a bugle and I think I saw him like kind of stumbling a little bit as he ran uphill so I thought well maybe I hit him pretty good but if you've elk hunted as long as I do you're just never certain until you see them dead um I didn't give him any time you know with that shot and the 30 minutes of daylight left I wanted to get up to where uh he was standing see if my arrow passed through I didn't see it pass through uh and see if he's bleeding pretty good or not. So I went right up to where he was standing, and then I could see where his tracks kind of dug in, and he kind of ran out 20 yards, and then just 180 and ran right back to where he was standing, and then went back uphill at an angle. And I was like, that's never really great when you just shoot a bull and it kind of goes uphill. Um, but I immediately, I saw where he kind of stopped and stumbled for a second, and it was like three feet by three feet of just blood and bubbles and red and just foam and I was like just you know just instantly knew that okay I wasn't making things up in my mind like I had made a really good shot and so I was like well should I give him some time and then I was like no I'm not gonna uh that's just too much blood he cannot live and so I just literally started following blood not tracks which is usually counter to what I usually do uh and it was really dry in that area so so reading tracks was really difficult and there was no foliage on the ground. There's nothing green to contrast it. It's just like burnout grass and rocks. And he went up at an angle and a blind man could follow this blood trail, man. It was just something was just spraying out. And, uh, when we put this video on YouTube, you will see what I'm talking about. Uh, the best blood trail I ever had was my Wyoming bull from last year. Um, shot him frontal and I'm not condoning frontals. I prefer broadside. I prefer quartering away. I hate quartering too. Although I killed my idol bull this year, quartering two. I hate frontal, but I did kill a Wyoming bull frontal. So, um, it's just, it's up to you and your level of experience and how you feel your confidence. And you just don't want to wound a bull. I bet I've heard from over 10 different people that I don't really know that well, but they know, I know them enough to where they've all wounded bulls this year. And so I know, and you guys probably listening know, that happens a lot more than we all want to talk about. A lot of archery guys wound bulls, and I didn't want to be in that in that boat at all. Um, I was super stoked on the broadside shot. Uh, it was a steep uphill shot. I aimed a little lower than I would, than you'd think, and got a great angle going into him. 
he bled so much so fast that he didn't make it probably somewhere between 100 and 150 yards. I don't know the exact distance, but he did angle uphill. So elk can go uphill when you shoot him in the lungs. I just followed blood and it was just like, you know, someone was pouring out a paint can the whole way. I don't think he had any blood left in his body. And I walked up on him. And I couldn't believe it. I just killed a bull day one in Montana. I was just like, wow, thank you, Lord. All credit to you, none to me. Just a day of being super patient, going against my character. Like, I'm not a patient man. And uh, it really paid off. I actually thought about my one of my good friends, Ryan Lampers, because he's like the most patient guy. Like, he'll live with an animal for a month before he kills it. And I'd only done one day, but I really just, the, the main factors of not going in after this bull all day was the number one, the prevailing wind was coming out of the South and there just wasn't a good angle to get on his side of the mountain without him catching a sniff of me and potentially thermals taking my wind up. And this hillside was hot. It was just, the sun was on it all day until it wasn't. Yeah. And I also got lucky in the fact that I was blindly still hunting up to where I guessed him to be after I saw him chasing his cows. I mean, he could have chased that cow forever and I, I wouldn't know, but he, he was pretty much right where I thought he was. Um, so just being patient and knowing that it was day one of a seven day hunt, I just didn't want to get busted on this bull at all. I really didn't want to bump him out of this Canyon. This Canyon was as the crow flies three miles from my truck. I mean, this was, that's kind of why I did what I did. Um, so when I walked up on the bull, uh, he was a big five by five, like really good five by five with a small herd. And, uh, I was super stoked and I was like, well, I'm gonna start breaking them down and let's not cut ourselves this time. And so I didn't use a, that goat knife with the surgical blade attachment. I used their, their fixed knife and, uh, I pulled that out and I just got it in the mail. So I was kind of, you know, wanting to test it out. See, you know, I've been using like Havilons forever and. Yeah. So, um, what I did was I just kind of, well, I ran a, I ran a line right from the antlers all the way down to the tail. And I was using, uh, I think the goat knife is called the Tur carbon pro. It's like 160 bucks. Uh, my buddy, Travis Nowatney, that's his company. Uh, he just sent me one to use. I'm not sponsored and that kind of stuff. I can use any knife I want, but I just wanted to support him because he's really a great elk hunter, a great hunter in general out of Idaho, blue collar electrician. So I used the Tur Carbon Pro and that thing went through this elk like butter, uh, did a line from, like I said, the antlers to the tail. And then what I usually do is I, I do it different than most people, but I go up to the neck first and start peeling the neck back. And then I get the shoulder peeled back and then I just cut the shoulder off. And once I get the shoulder off, I'll take that half of the neck off in one big giant chunk. So in that game, first game bag is a shoulder and half the neck meat as big meat chunk as possible. So you can keep as much meat as possible. Uh, and then I go backstrap and then I go uh, hindquarter and then tenderloin, and then rib meat, and then flip. Flipping this bull was, I've been here many times, by yourself, leaving the guts in. I almost had, I almost had to take the guts out on this bull. And the reason why I didn't is just, I didn't want to make a mess. I didn't want blood up to my armpits. I was wearing a glove, and I was trying to not get blood in my open wound that I had super glued the crap out of multiple times that day. It just kept cracking open. So I didn't want to take the guts out. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to deal with it. So I flipped him. It took probably 20 minutes for me to figure out how to get him flipped over. Once I did, I just repeat the process. I go peel back the neck, take the shoulder off, then the neck meat as big chunk as possible, then the back strap, then uh, the hind quarter, tenderloin, rib meats, rib meat. And uh, yeah, I ended up having four game bags. Now here's something that you guys might want to consider for solo elk hunting. Uh, and this is mainly for the hind quarter because it's so damn heavy. I use this little tarp, and you can use any tarp you want, but it's called Base Camp, spelled with a K. And I just put that tarp down next to the hind quarter right when it's about to come off the hip bone, and then it doesn't land on the dirt. And so my meat stays dirt free. And then once it's on there, I was pretty much convinced I didn't want to take out any bone on the hind quarters. So I deboned both hind quarters on the tarp. Meat was in great shape, super clean, 
So I got the meat bags all kind of on a, a snag where they could get air underneath them and probably 30 yards away from the kill site. We are in grizzly country and uh, I am packing a gun. So I have that that holster that goes underneath my bino harness from Northwest Retention Systems. And so I had uh, a 44 mag and then I had my Vortex bino harness over that. And uh, I carry a 44 mag from Smith & Wesson. I think it's called an ultralight when I'm in grizz country plus bear spray. And then if I'm in not grizzly country, but I might be able to get a shot at a wolf or whatever or a dumb mountain lion wanting a piece of me, whatever. I don't know. Uh, I carry a Glock 23. It's a 40 caliber. And that one's got, uh, I can hold higher capacity. I can hold, I think, 15 rounds. And I can shoot that one very accurately. Whereas my 44 mag is just like, I'm going deaf. And I got six shots. And hopefully one, you know, it's just, I'm just not as accurate. But so that's kind of my two different, like, systems, if you will. So in this instance, I'm in Grizz country. I'm using the pistol, the 44 mag, and the bear spray. So the meat's hanging up against the snag, air's coming underneath it, and I got to hike out, and I don't want to hike out the way I came in. That's for damn sure. Um, and on my base map, that says there's a trail in the bottom that goes out towards where my truck was. And I was like, well, I'm going to do that. Well, in the process of breaking that bull down and going slower than normal because I didn't want to cut myself at all, uh, I burned out my first headlamp put my second headlamp on and that was getting dim. So I had to hike out with really no great light, kind of in an unfamiliar trail. So I decided that I wasn't going to carry any meat out with me. I was pretty smoked. It was midnight. So I started hiking out and I'm glad I didn't pack any meat out because I didn't realize that this quote unquote horse trail was really just a, a old beat up talus trail where you're just going through rock slide after rock slide after rock slide and there's more rock slide than dirt and it's you're you're never really in the bottom you're always kind of up off the creek side hilling and I could hardly tell where the trail was it was really hard to read with not much light but I made it back to my truck at about 1:30 in the morning and I made a a you know a stowaway gourmet I had like I think it was like Thai curry with shrimp and drank a ton of water and got my stuff ready for the next day. Slept in the back of the truck. No rain. It was super, pretty much good to go. And I woke up the next morning at daylight. And um, what I decided to do was kind of, I think I can get all this elk meat back to my truck in one day. So let's get camp kind of situated. So I ended up getting my truck turned around and getting all my gear kind of put away. All the stuff I didn't need. My bow, my binos, all that kind of stuff. I got my trekking poles set up and all, you know, my kill kit stuff and, and food and water and wilderness athlete, hydrate, recover, alert. I drank coffee. I had oatmeal. Um, I was good to go. And I hit the trail and it ended up taking me an hour and 30 minutes to get to the kill site. And then from there, I was like, all right, here's the deal. Being is that we're not near a creek right now and we're pretty high up and we, we need to get the meat down to the creek. Uh, Cause it's going to take me all day to get, I got to get all this meat kind of away from the carcass and hanging above cold air. So I ended up taking shoulder and neck meat down to the Creek, getting it hung up, turn around, back up, hind quarter, back down, turn around, come back up, uh, other hind quarter back down. And then the shoulder and loose meat, that's like backstrap, tenderloin, whatever. And the head, and I didn't have a saw. And I do want to say, I should look this up. I just ordered a saw today. Uh, let me go to my Amazon while I'm, I bought it off Amazon. Let's look at my orders. You guys are going to think this is fun. I ordered a silky gomboy curve professional folding saw, 210 millimeter with large teeth. Probably should have got some finer teeth, but this is for cutting skull caps off because I hate packing heads out, man. But I had to pack the head out, so... Now I've done a ton of mileage. I've done, I think, at least three and a half to the elk. And then it was a half mile down and a half mile up four times as far as the down, up, down, up. So what's that? One, two, three, four miles plus the three and a half. So it's seven and a half miles-ish. And then um, I'm taking the first load all the way to the truck. And I remember it took me an hour and 40 minutes from the creek to my truck to drop off the first and I was like, dang, Dan, you've burned a lot of time here. 
and you've got only one bag of meat and three to go and the head, you better get hustling. So I, uh, had kind of a really bad headache. And so I had to like search my truck. I knew I had ibuprofen in there somewhere. Finally found it, took two ibuprofens, ate one of those, uh, honey stinger energy chews, had a whole one of those and pounded some water, some WA recovery and started feeling human again. By the time I made it back to the, the next load, I got the, the next load out, which was a hind quarter. I was using the Kafaru hoodlum. I want to say that I'm going to be doing a video on how I use that pack. And I really customized that pack this year and I feel like I have it so dialed. I spent so many days with it that that's my favorite pack. And I had options of using my striker, uh, the cutthroat. And so that's what I chose to use and that's the best pack I've ever used. So seriously, check out our YouTube channel. That video is coming. I'm gonna break things down for you guys. And uh, it's got a meat shelf in it. And it just, dude, that thing was amazing for packing meat out. So I got to the hind, or the hind quarter and I hiked it all the way out to the truck. And that didn't take an hour and 40. This one time it took just a little over an hour. And I'm using trekking poles. And the reason why I'm not carrying more than just one bag at a time is that it's these, it's these rocks, man. Like they're such big and loose rock that you literally could slip and kill yourself or break an ankle. So trekking poles are a must People ask me which ones I use. I have a pair of Lakeys right now. I'm open to try others. These are super light, very, you know, they're very sturdy. They break down, super small. They're always in my pack. I would say that trekkers really add longevity to a hunt. Um, so I was using trekking poles, going through rocks. Um, the reason why I wear Kinetrek high, the highest boots they make, those mountain guides, is because of I have small ankles and I like a stiffer heavier boot because I just feel like it doesn't bother me, especially when I'm in conditions like that, where I know that I'm going to be sure-footed. Uh, I'm not going to slip. I'm not going to twist an ankle and I'm going to be able to get the meat out. Okay. After I got the hind quarter back, we were basically kind of halfway. We had to get the shoulder or shoulder slash loose me and the other hind quarter and head out. I made it back and I knew that it was going to get dark by on this this trip. I knew this, this specific one, it was going to get dark and it didn't bother me. Um, so I attempted to put half the elk in my pack and then just carry the head kind of on it, like not just kind of over my head, just resting on top of my pack and not use trekkers. That lasted 50 steps. And every step I took, my ass cheeks were like literally cramping and I felt like my legs were going to give out and my legs aren't weak. And uh, so 50 yards later, I just was like, dude, something's got to give. So I took my uh, I took my rack off and I set it down, put it right there. And I was like, I guess I'm doing four trips. And so just carried basically, like I said, the hindquarter, the shoulder, and the hindquarter was deboned, plus the neck meat and the two back straps. So it's pretty, I don't know how many, it was way over 100 pounds. Let's just say that we're way over 100. And I made it to the truck and it was dark. And it just started raining and the wind was howling. And I was talking to myself and I'm like, well, Dan Staten tomorrow would really appreciate it if Dan Staten today just sucked it up and went and got that head out. And then you can just sleep in, drink coffee. And I was like, that's it. I'm doing it. So I grabbed another backup headlamp, changed out batteries, obviously. And I grabbed the checking poles and I hauled ass up to that rack. I think I did it in just under an hour. And it was definitely dark, dark, dark and uh, strapped that head on and hiked out through all the rock slides and made it back to the truck at 930. And so it was a pretty long day. It was 15 hours. I ran my tracking. So there's no exaggeration. I did 26 something miles and I don't know the elevation gain loss, but it doesn't matter. Basically a packathon or a marathon and half those miles with meat on my back. I got to tell you, I mean, I was intimidated. And on video, I even say on my last trip out, like with the meat, I was like, hey guys, I don't think I'm going to get back to the rack today. It's just so far. I'm really tired. Um, but I didn't listen to that voice. When I got back to the truck, I just, I was just like, just do it, man. Just go finish this. Get it done today and you'll be fine. Uh, you're not afraid of the dark. Uh, you're going to get a little wet, throw a rain jacket on and get it out. And then tomorrow I'll sleep in. So I made it back to the truck. My truck was already all packed up. I, I basically threw it all in the back of the truck and I was like, 
probably maybe had some endorphins. I was like, you know what? It's raining. Excuse me. It's raining really hard right now. And this road's really shitty for the next two or three miles. Let's, let's crawl out of here and maybe just sleep somewhere else. Um, cause remember I hadn't set a camp up yet. I hadn't committed to camping here and I wasn't going to sleep in the back of the truck with raining. Um, and I really didn't want to sleep inside the truck cause it's, it's not that comfortable. So I started driving and I drove and I drove and I drove. And the next thing you know, it was like one in the morning and I was over halfway home and I was like, you know what? This is probably more than you thought you would go. Let's pull over, get some sleep. And so I pulled over, pulled everything out of the back of the cab. My wife's got a, a crew max Tundra, pulled everything out and put the seats down and tried to sleep. Um, for about five hours, woke up, uh, still dark, but made coffee and, uh, drove home. And that's my Montana story. So, uh, I know you guys will probably watch the YouTube video and I, maybe you saw some of this on Instagram, but it's just probably fun. I do want to end the podcast. This is a shorter one with just kind of some things I really focused on this year and things I learned and it's in no particular order. It's going to be very random. So, so dig in, listen to this part. So number one, I am doing seven elk shape camps in 2021. Elk shape camps are more than just learning how to kill elk on public land, but it is a lot to do with that. And there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of different flavors and styles that you need to know and adapt to be able to get it done consistently year in and year out. This is not the first year I've killed three bulls in a season. This isn't the second time or the third time. I think I maybe have done it four or five other times. No joke. I always have a lot of elk tags in pocket. In fact, I had a Washington elk tag, so I had four elk tags this year, and I never hunted the Washington tag. But I'm not saying that to impress you guys. I'm saying that so you know that I'm impressed upon in you that elk hunting requires a lot of dedication, a lot of consistent hard work, and the separation and the preparation could never be any more true than it is today. Everybody out there is pretty fit. Everybody out there can shoot pretty good. Everybody out there's listened to all the podcasts, watched all the YouTube videos. They know how to e-scout. People are figuring it out. So what are you going to do to stand out to separate yourself? What? How are you going to separate yourself? You're going to stay consistent. That's the bottom line. And so when people are thinking about whatever, um, making more money or getting another job or going on vacation, you're thinking about what workout am I going to do today? What food am I going to make for myself for the week? How am I going to get leaner? How am I going to get stronger? How am I going to create more endurance? How am I going to create more accuracy, less variance in my archery setup? How am I going to deal with pressure? How am I going to get mentally stronger? How am I going to learn more about elk areas? Who can I network with? Like you just have to be obsessed. And that's what I teach at Elk Shape Camp. So I'm plugging Elk Shape Camps right now. There will be seven. Go to elkshape.com. Click on the link to the Elk Shape Camps. Sign up for one. I need every camp sold out. I need the 20 people that are the hungriest and the humble. Humblest? Is that a word? But for real, I need 20 people that are have humility, have a strong work ethic, have a strong desire to get better. If you have a huge ego, if you know everything, I don't even know why you would sign up if you're that person. Don't sign up. Don't want to meet you. Stay away. We're looking for people that are just absolutely diehard elk hunting doesn't matter your level of experience. You've never killed an elk. You've never elk hunted. You've never picked up a bow to somebody who's elk hunted for 10 years and still hasn't got it done. All you qualify. We're going to find what you are weak at, and we're going to flip-flop your, your, your off-season prep so that you prioritize your weaknesses first. It could be simply you have target panic. It could be simply you eat like shit or you're overworked you're stressed, you're not taking care of yourself, or you don't know which equipment, or you don't know how to read a map, you don't know how to do terrain navigation. Whatever it is, I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to figure out how to get you better in a short weekend, and I hope to also help you with other things like pursuing anything you're ambitious about, pursuing financial freedom, pursuing um, your faith, pursuing uh, a stronger marriage, whatever it is, I want to help. That's all I want to do. And so if you're interested, Elk Shape Camp early bird discount is through December 31st, 2020. Then it's going up 150 bucks. So lock in your spots today. Uh, the things I learned the most about this year, hunting all new areas, never going anywhere I've ever been before was, and that was on purpose. That was by design. 
I will be a better elk shape coach if I uh, if I have to actually go figure it out too. And so I have plenty of honey holes sprinkled throughout all the states because I've hunted elks along. But this was the first year I just absolutely committed to going to new places, 100% wanderlust, and it was awesome. Idaho, you sell too many tags, straight up. There's just too many people. And it's not just non-residents. In fact, you residents of Idaho, listen up. Non-resident elk tags have been capped for years. It's it, the number set in stone. So what number's not capped? Resident tags. People migrating to Idaho and now becoming residents are getting into elk hunting. And there's your numbers. Idaho, when I hunted this year in the four units that I hunted, I couldn't get away from people. Um, and so what I learned was to study maps and figure out the shittiest places that elk would go that people wouldn't want to go. And if they did want to go, it would be really difficult for them and it would have a price tag. And so I spent so much time in places like that. The next thing I did in Idaho specifically was I made sure to change camp locations nonstop. I never... I drove so many miles in Idaho because I wanted to hunt a different spot pretty much every day until I found the spot, which took me two weeks until I figured out, okay, these elk are feeding six miles from their bedroom. These All these hunters are bottlenecked at this trailhead, this trailhead, this trailhead, this road. No one's coming in this way, and the elk are going to be right here. And I hiked blindly to that spot, never hearing a bugle until 10 a.m. when I finally heard my first bugle of the day. Well, the elk were just getting there too. It took them that long to get to their bedding area, and then it was lights out elk hunting. So that's my takeaway. Idaho is busy. I'm not sure if it's the best state to hunt. It's one of my favorites, but I think you're going to have to do things differently to kill elk. I I don't think it's a place that you're going to Th- blow on a bugle tube, throw out a cow call, and bulls are going to just come in screaming. I never experienced that anywhere this year. Montana in September, I hunted four days. It was phenomenal. I found an area that wasn't getting pounded by other people. It was a pain in the butt. It was one of those places it was like we probably should have set a spike camp in there, but we didn't really want to be camped near the elk because it was such a niche little area. But uh, So ultimately, we decided not to camp in that area so we committed to the three and a half four mile hike just to get to where you start elk hunting plus all the mileage chasing bugles plus the four miles back to camp every day and uh, we hunted that place for about four days and we felt like we kind of tore it up pretty good and we backed out and I was going to plan on going back there I just never made it and then Wyoming same deal Um, so many people and so many like COVID crowding like people People riding horses for fun in September, like late September, like elk are bugling and there's people just with dogs riding their horses or people walking with their dogs, people renting razors and just cruising up national forest roads. I've never seen a national forest road that busy where I was in uh, Wyoming. There's still a ton of elk there. Uh, There was a ton of people. And uh, I think in most years in Wyoming where I was hunting, you'd probably only have to hike maybe a mile or two off of a trail or a road and you'd be into elk and away from people. Uh, this year was different, man. Like there was a weird, like you go too deep, you're running into rifle mule deer hunters. You don't go deep enough and you're going to literally hear, have eight different hunters closing in on the same vocal herd bull. Uh, so it was kind of finding that like no man's land where not too deep, stay away from mule deer country, not too shallow. Cause you're going to like, hunt with the other vultures and finding those little niche areas where you had to work your butt off, but, uh, you weren't too deep. And that's what we did in Wyoming. Um, and Wyoming was honestly, I think I would have got tagged out a lot earlier. It's just, uh, the elk were pretty vocal in there. I mean, good enough to get it done, but not bugling all day. Hardly ever. We had one day in Wyoming one day. And it was the weirdest thing was like from like five to 7 PM where, I don't know how many herd bulls were in one little basin screaming at each other for about two hours. And that was the best bugling action. And I don't know how many, I think I saw six different six points with cows in an area that was so small, you would never believe me. And they were all screaming 
and I got busted by every herd bull's cows, literally. Jake Webb was filming this. He is my witness. I was literally, I told him, I'm like, I'm the worst elk hunter ever. Like this is, I should have killed today. This is too many bugling, but too many eyes, man, got busted. So my recap for 2020 season is this, like, I don't know if it's a COVID thing, but there was COVID crowding. I personally don't think it's going to get any better. I think people are getting into elk hunting. You guys like, man, Joe Rogan's made elk hunting cool. There's so many elk hunting this, that, the others. I'm going to continue to rely on my mental toughness, my physical fitness, and my ability to think like an elk, move like an elk, and figure out where elk want to be. Understanding the terrain and how the animals will navigate and where they want to be and why. Where they want to feed, where they want to drink, where they want to sleep, where they want to rut. And what the terrain offers. Is this an area where the elk are all concentrated? They summer nearby, they winter nearby, they drop their sheds nearby, and they're there in the fall? Or is it somewhere where they migrate out and then they're rutting locations change year to year. Um, where's the best grasses given the time that you're there? Like where's the best available feed? Where's the best available cover? Where are they not being disturbed? And then think like a man. Where does man want to access? Where does man think is the best spot to park his truck? How is he going to hike in? And then there's a whole bunch of advanced tactics you guys can do. Um, things like I night bugle. Uh, I've heard other successful hunters say they don't. I do. And you'll see that on our YouTube series. Like I literally go out in the dark between 10 p.m. and midnight, and I'm bugling, trying to find elk to hunt the next day. Decoy tents. If there's a busy area and I want to deter people, put out a decoy tent. I'm not going to repeat that tip. You just, you just heard that right, but you can do that. Side hill. Find a road system that gets you back deep and then find a really good side hill lateral trail and go three, four miles on a lateral trail, bugling into every little canyon. Find those trails or those ridges that get you, get your sounds. And and this is where I'm going to finish this podcast today. And I hope it's worth your while. Jason Phelps is a really good friend of mine. Dirk Durham, phenomenal elk callers. I've gotten so much better elk calling by hanging out with him. Seriously, I don't get elk. I don't kill elk by bugling and getting them to come in and trying to get them to fight. I use a locator bugle to locate elk, and then I prefer them to do their own talking on their own time and sneak in and shoot them. I have killed more elk, way more elk, not making a sound versus having a caller or calling. Um, and that's 100% because I hunt solo. If I had a hunting partner that was into it as I was and they could make vocalizations and we were on the same level, I think we would do more setups like that for sure. But a lot of you are solo elk hunters, so just hear me out. Turn up the patience. Turn up the stealth mode. Get them located. Get the wind right. And sneak in and stay as close to the cows. Don't press too hard. And I'd say the longer you can hang out near the herd bull without getting busted – the the noose will get cinched. Eventually, he'll slip up. He'll come check a cow. He'll come rake a tree. He'll go get water. He'll bugle, whatever it is. To me, elk hunting nowadays is how close can I get without making a sound and how long can I hang out in the red zone? It's going to happen. And uh, you just you need to be into elk every day. If you're out there and you're struggling, I just want to encourage you to change some of your tactics. I think some people don't hunt evenings I will never take an evening off because that's usually those last 20 minutes are super magical with thermals, reliable wind, and it makes for long hikeouts. Well, long, long hikeouts means that you get back late and then you got to make dinner, but then you got to also get your pack ready for the morning and then you're going to lose sleep. And then you got like, you feel like you just took a nap and your alarm goes off and you don't want to get out of your sleeping bag. And it's really hard to do that day in and day out, especially for 30 days. I did it. Uh, I always say, the easiest day was yesterday. That's what I told my cameraman. And there were some days where like it was stupid, but we did so many miles. We got back so late and we made dinner and we got our packs ready and we got hardly any sleep. And the next day proved to be even worse, but we did it. And because we did it, we were always into elk as in within a hundred yards of a bull every day. And I feel like that's just what it takes. So things to work on 2021 would be understanding elk behavior understanding how elk travel, understanding how man will think 
and doing things just slightly different outside the box as hunting pressure continues to thrive. And uh, you can't control the rut. I would say, finally, I definitely believe that bulls were rutting pretty good early on. And then there was a massive lull mid-September for me personally where it just wasn't popping. And then it kind of ramped up a little bit towards the end of the month. And then as I went into October, that first, late in the first week, second week, they were still rutting pretty good. If you're thinking about 2021 and where you want to hunt, I'd still say like Idaho's going to raise their prices, but it's still worth it. Uh, Colorado still got the most elk out of any state. Uh, New Mexico is super hard to draw. I haven't been there since 2007, but it's one of my favorites. Same with Arizona. Same with Nevada. I love those Southwest hunts. Northern Utah is still a really good over-the-counter option. I'm not going to repeat that. Montana is still a good option. And Eastern Oregon is still a good option. And if you hunted Oregon this year and you were, your hunt was affected by fires, I think they have a tag exchange program where you can turn your tag in from 2020 and get one for 2021. I think Oregon's still a great option. So that's what I got for you guys. I appreciate you listening. Uh, let's do a couple of ads at the end here, and we will catch you on the next one. Remember, separation is in the preparation. All right, guys, that was me rambling, but trying to be honest and clear and concise on on how I got it done in Montana, as well as, you know, talked about the uh, how elk hunting's kind of changed a little bit. But I think a lot of people would agree that the, the rut just wasn't amazing this year. Uh, I hope you had success. And if you didn't, I hope you're hungrier than ever to have more success down the road. Just uh, just outwork the competition and guess who the competition is. It's you. So kick your own ass vortex optics discount code elk shape 20 off all the apparel hashtag fit for anywhere check them out gonna be doing a pack review on kafaru hoodlum specifically i'm gonna go through how i customize it to fit my elk hunting needs be on the lookout for our youtube channel also give our youtube channel some love tap the bell subscribe we hustle hard there can i check boots i'm using the mountain guides and they'll save your ankles in talus uh, base map uh, at the time of this recording they're doing a week free of the pro version you might want to try it out probably honestly one of the, be the best desktop versions for e-scouting which I utilize for the Montana hunt check them out Baku e-bikes I tried to use my e-bike on the Montana hunt but uh, it wasn't allowed and I follow the rules but uh, e-bikes have changed the game and I think they're not going anywhere but up so if you're in the mood and you want to invest in one use the discount code ElkShape400 That'll take $400 off. Uh, look at the mule bikes. I think you'll dig them. Matthews Archery. Uh, I'm not allowed to say what the new bows are for hunting, but I got one ordered. And I'm telling you, I can't wait. As soon as I get it, I'm going to film the whole bow build start to finish. That'll be on our YouTube channel. Grim Reaper Broadheads, Micro Hades 3 Blade, the best blood trails I've ever had, a.k.a. watch them drop is what they say in their uh, packaging. And uh, just... Just know that fixed for elk is the way to go. Uh, Phelps Game Calls. I actually use two different tubes. They have the Unleashed, and then I use that little rival tube, and it's super packable. And I think that's the tube I'm going to bring to all my elk shape camps this year. Thank you, Sika Gear, for providing the core lightweight hoodies to all of uh, all, all seven elk shape camps last year. And maybe we can do the same thing in 2021. Wilderness Athlete discount code ELKSHAPE30. Save 30% off your first purchase. Make sure you get the tubs of Energy and Focus Hydrate Recover, your multivitamins. I would also look at getting their packout bars for the backcountry and their packout bites. I think that uh, they're the best tasting. I think that they're super clean. And then you can backfill with things like green infusion or omega-3 fish oil, um, probiotics, pre-workout. They have the brute force, uh, post-workout. I, I do take the brute strength post-workout. And then they have just the meal replacement shakes and uh, they have like paleo side. I mean, Wilderness Athlete, super clean brand, super clean products, not a marketing company, if you know what I mean. So thank you guys. Check them out. Use that discount code. Uh, Lakewood Products, that's the bow case I use. If you're in the market, those guys are out of Wisconsin. Discount code ELKSHAPE2020 will get you 10% off. Climate Sleep Systems, tents, pads, bags, ELKSHAPE20 will get you 20% off. And then we have Black Ovis. The discount code, I believe, is ElkShape. 
And somebody told me that they the discount code's only 15% off. Uh, I don't know what they're doing, but I do know this. If you're going to order from Black Ovis, I would just pick up the phone and call in your order and tell me your discount code is Elkshape, your Elkshape podcast listener, and you'll want 20% off. They'll give it to you. Uh, Northwest Retention Systems, that's what I custom holster makers for your chest. I use the Scout. Get free shipping and handling. Use the discount code Elkshape. Crossover Symmetry is what I use to bulletproof my shoulders. Get one for your home gym. Uh, use the discount code Elkshape20 and save 20% off. That's what I got for you guys. I appreciate you all. Thanks for tuning in. Do me a favor. Tell a friend about the podcast. Keep working hard in the name of Better Elk Hunting. Remember, separation is in the preparation.